Totally agree. Um, so, Steve, the point of this is, uh, obviously, I, I said earlier, I'm, I'm an ambassador for, uh, for Life Skills, the next wave official. They do a lot of great stuff. We've done some webinars. We're now doing Instagram Lives. The point of it is uh, to speak to people like yourself who've had great careers as a player. Now, obviously, you're in, in coaching and punditry as well. And there's a lot of people that are joining and watching this are young and up-and-coming athletes. So just to give your take of your career and just to give them some advice really on, on what is yeah. you know a, a very important time in their life so let's start off by, by where it all began with you really as a young lad growing up uh, was it always football 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 was that the career you wanted to go down talk us through sort of your childhood your early years yeah no it was definitely football I mean I was playing football from the age of six uh, just in South London in Mitcham and uh, just a little five-a-side little friendly thing on a Saturday uh, joined a Sunday league team in Chipstead and then went to Collier's Wood and I played a five-a-side tournament in uh, Hampton Court and got uh, got scouted for Arsenal at the age of nine. Wow. So, um, yeah, and then from then on, went all the way through from for Arsenal, through, uh, through schoolboys, YTS, which it was back then, professional forms, um, and then, yeah, pro, and then, uh, yeah, obviously onto the big stage. So uh, it, I love it. It's amazing about that how, how quick it goes. Yeah, I love about that story as well. You gave me exact location because there's someone that lives around the Surrey, South London area. Like I was envisaging those pitches because I've played on some of those pitches. So I was trying to tick them off, Collier's Wood, Hampton. But the, the thing that jumps out for me is age nine, you got picked up by Arsenal. So what was that moment like as a nine-year-old? Because my memories of playing at that age, you just, you just play for pure enjoyment. But yeah. when you get scouted for Arsenal, do you feel the pressure or are you just so young, you're just, you're just enjoying life playing football? Yeah, I mean, it was very much different then. It's not like now when you're scouted for a club. I mean, they've got facilities now uh, and teams as young as, as we've seen as young as probably under eights. Yeah. And they're training twice a week, maybe even three times a week and playing on a Sunday. Back then, uh, there wasn't academies. It was basically school of excellence. So you just met up, you trained probably once a week and only played in the, um, the school holidays. That was the only time that they sort of really kept uh, tabs on you in terms of game time. So you were still really playing for your Sunday league team. So it was still very relaxed, but he was obviously tagged and associated with the club then. I mean, before I was scouted for Arsenal, I was actually training with uh, Wimbledon and Crystal Palace. Sorry, oh, yeah. Wimbledon, Wimbledon, Crystal Palace and Chelsea, actually, wow. at the time. So wow. they was obviously all around, but it wasn't as full on, obviously, as it is now, with the, especially with the contact time uh, and the hours and the training that goes on now with youngsters. And a lot of, um, lot of youngsters we watch, there's a lot of people that are in youth academies at that, at that stage of your career. So just to sort of elaborate on that, you won two youth cups at Arsenal, didn't you? How important was that time in your life? Did you always feel that you had what it takes to become a pro during your YTS days? Or, or were you conscious that you, you need something to fall back on if it doesn't quite work out? What, what was your mindset like at, at YTS level? Yeah, I mean, I'll be brutally honest with you. My, my year 11 at, at GCSE at school, um, and probably actually even year 10 when, they, when you do your topics and you choose what you're going to take. I remember teachers saying to me, you know, because they obviously knew I was at Arsenal at the time and there was uh, a chance that I was gonna, obviously going to go into a scholarship or a YTS scheme. But they was always the ones that what happens if you don't make it? The chances of making a footballer are very slim. And I was just adamant. I, probably a little bit, uh, cocky, a little bit blasé by just saying, no, I'm going to be a footballer. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Um, and if I'm honest, I didn't, I didn't really look on, look on, as, on an education as a fallback, which was probably silly because, I mean, the, the stats back it all up really in terms of the amount of players that don't make it. Now, the group that you said there that, that was at Arsenal with me that won back-to-back -back youth cups, we, we was 
and still are probably the greatest youth team that Arsenal's ever had. We won back-to-back youth cups. We won the Premier Leagues. We won tournaments. We got beat once in two years. Um, and, and I think nearly out of probably, say, at that two years out of 20-odd players, we're talking 22, 25 players, I'd say three didn't go on to have a, a, a career in football. And I mean, when I say a career, I mean spanning over 10, 15 years, not just a couple of years. Because so, normally it's the other way around, isn't it? I was going to say, three didn't. I thought, you, yeah, I was going to no, pick you up on that. Well, I mean, our youth team, there was, uh, you had people like Graham Stack, Ben Chorley, Liam Chilvers, John Halls, uh, Moritz Volts, Ryan Gary, myself, Jermaine Pennant, Jerome Thomas, um, David Bentley, Rowan Ricketts, Jay Boffroyd, Graham wow. Barrett, Joe Kafur. Jeremy yeah. Alliadere, I mean, the list, the list goes on. Um, and the education that we got in terms of football and education was second to none at Arsenal. Don Howe, Liam Brady, uh, Don Givens, Neil Banfield, all the coaches was brilliant. And if he was good enough, you was going to get the chance. But unfortunately, what we had in front of us in the terms of Vieira, yeah. Petit, Burkamp, Perez... You know, it was very, very difficult, and only the very, very elite was going to make that step up. Um, so you could say it was the right place, wrong time. But what we did have, you know, we had, as I said, we had a great football education. And then when it wasn't the well, when it was the decision not to uh, that it wasn't going to be there, it was the decision to then come back down the step on the ladder to hopefully come back up. Steve, I love the knowledge of all of the players, coaches. It's almost like you're looking at a, a, a team uh, photo of you behind the camera because you reeled off everyone that was at the club then. Well, do you know right. what, Smith? Do you know what it is? And, and, and this goes for every player. You ask every player, and it could be the illustrious career of someone like Rio Ferdinand or a John Terry to someone like myself or even in the lower leagues. You ask any player the best times of their career and every yeah. one of them will say it's the, their youth team days. Every, and that goes to Champions League winners, everyone. Because you know they, what? You're dead right, actually. I've actually lost count of the amount of ex-pros that I've spoken to. And when they talk about career highlights, they'll say either their first cap, as in the realisation of making it pro, or the youth team days, because it's like an extension of playing with your mates and playing for fun. I've genuinely lost count of the amount of yeah. ex-pros that say that. Um, I did one of these with Jack Wakeley, young Chelsea player at the minute last week. and It was great hearing sort of his thoughts, um, you know, playing for the under-23s. Now, he was saying how important it is the contact with the first team. Obviously, Chelsea, we know, one of your former clubs, fantastic sets up there. When you were at Arsenal, how important was that? Because the players that you were in front of you in the first team there, you mentioned some of them. How yeah. big was that to have that interaction as a young player? It was good. I mean, it, well, I say it was good. It was excellent. You know, we, we used to watch, obviously, first-team games all the time. That was a given. You had to go and watch a first-team game. We was obviously sat right behind the dugout, so obviously the views that we had of watching them um, playing at Highbury. But even in around the training ground, the likes of Dennis, uh, Thierry was brilliant. The foreign lads, Freddie, um, Bobby Perez, they was all so good with us. They'll come over and watch the, uh, the youth team games if they was training on a Saturday, for instance, if they had a game on a Sunday. Um, it was clever how it's worked. I don't know how, how, the, how the logistics work now with the training ground, because I know they're still in the same training ground, but it was sort of cut down the middle in terms of one end is the youth team end, and yeah. the other end was the first team end, and you had to aspire to get from one end down to the other. And you'd pass, you'd pass first team players all the time, but you'd never speak to them. You'd always be, you'd always wait to be spoken to. Really, so nervous. I remember, I remember when when um, when when we went in the building for the first time, and I see Dennis Burkamp, and he was walking yeah. down the corridor, and he said, he said hello. 
and I couldn't wait to rush back into the dressing room to say, boys, 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 I just spoke to Dennis. Wow. And I was like, no way. <laughs> Which is mad now. Yeah. But that was a level of respect that you had. And you never dared walk into the first team dressing room. If you did, you knew that you was going to get pelters. And it was just about earning your stripes. You know, we'd done all the jobs back then. And I still think that's a big part of a big learning, le learning curve for, for young players now. How important is that support network, Steve, at that age as well, when you're six? You mentioned it, might, it must be tough. You see some of your friends make it a lot. A lot in your case did, but some don't. And yeah. having the right people around you. Particularly now, do you almost think it's, it's harder in a way for young players because of the pressure of social media, because of the, the, the spotlight that comes on them at a young, young age? What sort of advice would you have for a lot of young, um, sort of talented sportsmen and women that are at that stage about having a, a decent support network around them? Yeah, I mean, I was very, very fortunate um, with the family, the close family that I had around me. Mum and dad took me everywhere, um, you know, always gave me good advice. But it goes to the same as everyone. You know, I, I grew up with the, the lads at Arsenal. Some of them come from council estates in, in mm. South London, in Brixton, in Stockwell, Kennington. And, you know, they, they knew the, do, the do's and don'ts. But you've hit the nail on the head. Nowadays, you've got social media mm. and... The thing is with, with players now, it's all about instant clicks, instant, not likes, but they can see things instantly. So even these yeah. days, like back then, for instance, when we would have a game on a Saturday, an academy game, we would know how West Ham under 16s or 18s got on or Chelsea yeah. or Palace. But now they can. Now they can see on Instagram or videos, right, he's done well, he scored two. So now they're instantly comparing themselves. So not only players in their own team, but players up and down the country. So, again, it puts more pressure on them. They've just got to literally just stay tunnel vision, focus on their own game, don't worry about what's going on elsewhere, because if you play well, the path, it's not always a straight road. We all know that. There's going to be a load of bumps in the road. But if you stay focused and you've got the right work ethic and you're talented, then you're going to get a chance. I thought the other thing that's very applicable with chatting to you here is a lot of people will be at a club and they may make it with that club or they may have to go to another club and come back. And I think you're a prime yeah. example of that because you were forced to leave Arsenal, which I imagine at the time you must have been quite gutted about because you mentioned the names there. But you ended up back in the Premier League playing for a host of clubs, including Chelsea. So yeah. that transition for you leaving Arsenal to Reading, how was that at the time? And what would you say to young players if they don't make it in their club? It's certainly not game over for them because they can go on to have a fantastic career like yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if I'm honest, I didn't see that as a rejection. I, I, although, looking back at it now, it was. Um, mm. I didn't see it. I just see it. I literally see it as, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. I'm going to come back down. I, I knew that I was, I'd already gone on loan into the championship, so I knew I could compete at that level. Um, and I was going to make the step back up. I'm, I'm in an environment now where, obviously, an academy coach at Brighton, under-16s, mm. we're letting players know that they're not going to get a scholarship. And you can see you can see what it means to them even at that age. But what you've just got to keep telling them is, is that because it's not worked out here, mm. that's, not, that's not the be-all and end-all. It's just that their pathway has stopped at that specific club. Mm. Now, that's no reason that they can go on to somewhere else uh, and, and perform. So there's going to be knockbacks. We know that. That is unfortunately part and parcel of the game. You've just got to be mentally tough. It may take time to get over it, but use it as a tool, as... as you know, as a way of a way of getting more out of you to, to make it at another club. And for you, obviously, Reading, you, you, I mean, you bossed it at Reading, didn't you, if we're being honest? You, you, your team of the season, you, you won promotion. Came Was it eighth in your, in your year in the yeah. Premier League after promotion? I mean, you must look back at your time at Reading with very fond memories. 
Yeah, but again, it, it wasn't plain sailing. Um, the first few years was, I mean, we was we finished outside the playoffs, um, and it was it was building blocks to that to that point where we got we got the team that was uh, that was finally promoted. Um, but I was a young 19, 20 year old, and again, I was with old school pros, and the, and I put myself under pressure to say, right, I need to be accepted from these. I'm coming from Arsenal; they're going to be expecting me to be a talented player. But I showed them that I had work ethic, I had hunger, I had desire. And straight away, they kind of took to me because they knew that if the game was in a situation where it was nil-nil or one-all or two-two away from home, can you rely on him? Yeah, you can. Um, so you can never get away from work ethic. You know, I know that keeps getting drummed about from, from players. Talent, talent will only get you so far. I promise mm. you that that will only get you so far. Yeah, that's the thing. We're getting that theme. Sorry to interrupt you, but that theme is coming up a lot actually. In a lot of these that, that I've done and we've started doing with life skills is that talent obviously is important. But you, you just said work ethic is. Did you say as equally as important, or it's a balance? Oh, it's it's, it's more. It's it's. I I go. It's important. There was players at Arsenal, um, not necessarily my age, but either players above or players below that was that was exceptionally talented, much more talented than me. And they never made it. They never made it to the heights that they should have done because maybe they wasn't mentally as tough or they, did, they couldn't hack it when it got hard um, mm. or the knockbacks and the setbacks they couldn't. And, or they didn't have the work ethic. You know, you've got to go into training every day and perform at a level. You can't just think, you know, oh, Monday to Friday, I'll coast. And then when it comes to a game, I can turn it on and off like a tap. It doesn't yeah. work like that. It can work like that for the very, very selective few that are just unbelievably talented. But for the majority, the hard yards are done Monday to Friday and then the fruitfulness will come out on a, on a game day with all the hard yards that you put in. And of course, we want to get some stories from your playing career as well. Um, a, a famous story, when we think Steve Sidwell, is, is how you signed for Chelsea. I'm fortunate enough to have heard this story, having known you quite well. Do you want to tell the viewers the particular incident when you were at Jose Mourinho's house, was it, in his slippers yeah. when he signed? You tell us that story. Yeah, so so I got a call from Peter Kenyon to say that Chelsea were interested in signing. I thought it was someone winding me up. <laughs> I said, could I speak to Jose? And he said, yeah, he's going to give you a call. So I remember rushing home from the training ground and I, I was sweaty palms and I was waiting for Jose <laughs> to ring. And I was pacing up and down my living room and, he, and the phone rang and he called and he said, look, what are you doing tonight? I said, no, nothing. He said, right. He said, you're going to come around my house. He, he was living in the middle of, in the, middle of the town. Yeah. So my wife and my agent, we made our way down there and he picked us, uh, they picked us up and took him to his house. But obviously back then it was a bit of a secret that I was going to be signing for Chelsea. And yeah. they, they whisked me straight through the front door. There was security everywhere. They whisked me straight through the front door, straight into the living room. And I'm sitting in, in his house. <laughs> and I'm sitting there for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Me, my wife, and my agent, we're looking at each other. We can hear the kids playing in one room. We can... Hear his wife cooking in another room, and I'm thinking <laughs> the, the dog, the little dog that they had, he was running around. I'm thinking, what do I do? Really? I go in and say to his wife, like, excuse me, I'm, I'm here. She's going to think, who the hell was this ginger person in my house? Like, having <laughs> a clue. And all of a sudden, he just come, he just come walking down the stairs and uh, in these fluffy slippers, and someone obviously said to him, oh, why are you not in there? He's in there, yeah. and you hear just what, what is in there already? And then he come in so apologetic and you know really embarrassed, and then. We just cracked on talking and, yeah, he put this book down about Chelsea and about the whole of pre-season coming and the whole plan. And uh, he, he basically just sold it to me there and then. Amazing story, that. I, mean, I, I just yeah. have this image of you just walking around 
wondering what's going on. But as you said, that the rest is history. Um, I, I want to talk about your time at Chelsea, Steve. So I think this is really important for, for people that, in terms of overcoming setbacks, because you, you've made it at Chelsea, one of the biggest teams in Europe at the time, not just the Premier League. You must have been absolutely delighted. You stayed there for one year. And in that year, you, you lost the Community Shield on penalties, runner-up in the league by just two points. Sorry to bring this up. Lost the League Cup final in extra time the FA Cup in quarterfinals and the Champions League final on penalties. I mean, you came so close to winning about four trophies, but ultimately didn't. So yeah. I, I'm not tr trying to, you know, hammer that down because obviously it's a no. fantastic squad. But, but in terms of you then went on to, to have more success at other clubs, what, what would you say to young people? It's, it's a good sort of story there to, to overcome setbacks that you still look back on your time with fond memories and it, and it's, it, it still led to, to future success for you down the line. Yeah, I mean, the Chelsea one, if I'm honest, yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't fulfil my potential at all. Uh, yeah. Whether it was a too big a jump, I mean, I was absolutely on fire at Reading at the time, and I was mm. so confident. And I actually went there with the belief that I could make an impact at the squad, not necessarily start every week in front of the likes of Essien and Lampard and uh, Makaleli and yeah. Balak, but play a part and hopefully win some silverware. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out, and it, things things happen in football clubs. I mean, the club suited me, yeah. I mean, it was local to home. I was living at home. Yeah. Um, I knew it was going to be tough. But I didn't play well. And ultimately, if you're not going to play well, then you're not going to get picked. Um, and the decision to leave... I mean, Aston Villa was a very emerging club. Yeah. Martin O'Neill sold the club to me. We was going to go young, British, hungry. Uh, the chance of obviously playing for England, I was going to play. Probably looking back, should I have stayed maybe at Chelsea for another season or started it for another season? Maybe to have a, a year bedding in. But, you know, I took the, the decision to leave. Again, maybe to come back down, to go back up with, with Aston Villa. But it's not one that I regret, you know, really, because the year that I had at Chelsea, the players that I was surrounded with on and off the pitch was just phenomenal. And I, and I was 24 at the time, turning 25. And I still learnt loads in that year how to conduct myself around the training ground, what to be like on match days, looking at Lampsey and watching him, how, how hard he trained, the hard yeah. yards that he'd done, the goals that he scored, there's no, that's no secret. There's no luck in that. Everything was deserved. The way John Terry done um, speeches and things like that, and Didier, you know, the silly things, that the little flicks that Essien done, that, that they learned in Africa, just little things like that, all little nuggets you just pick up along the way. And and they and and, I, and in football, you, you don't stop learning. Even when I was to, to the age of 34, 35, and I'll finish my career, you're always learning. You're always evolving. And how tough is it making the decision? You're saying they're going to Aston Villa. Was the motive then just gain more regular game time? Because there'll be there'll be players listening to this that will have to make difficult decisions in their career. Yeah. Uh, and often now, especially with like the transfer deadline, you don't get a lot of time to think about. I always, as someone who hasn't played the game but is involved in the media, the one thing that always strikes me is. Deadline day, when players even logistically move from one end of the country to the next and have a day to think about if they've got a young family to bring, whether they go there. How, how tough are those decisions? And what advice would you have to people that have to make those very difficult decisions throughout their career? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, first of all, you've got to make the, the decisions purely based on footballing decisions. It, it, you know, there's going to be money thrown around left, right and centre now. But you're going to earn a good living, whatever happens yeah. in the game. If you believe in your, yourself and you believe that that pathway is right for you at that time, then you have to take it. And that's what I thought with Aston Villa. Um, you know, I could have stayed at Chelsea. I'd, I think I still had three years to go. I could have easily have sat there and been around that environment. Uh, 
and possibly played a few more games, won another medal, well, sorry, another, won a medal. But as I said, what was sold to me with Martin O'Neill and the team that they was building, Randy Lerner, the, the, the chairman, um, was going young and hungry and the squad that was going to assemble, it was going to challenge the top four. And we did challenge the top four. Uh, and again, it was a pathway that I, that I see that, that was like, if I get back onto the way that I was performing at Reading, which is only a year ago, then I've got a chance of possibly making it into, into the England, England set-up as well. So it was purely based on, on footballing decisions. And that ultimately is, is what it's got to be. And that goes for any level. That, that goes for kids at grassroots level that thinks, right, have I outgrown this team? Do mm. I need to go to another team to try and get spotted or scouted to get into an academy system? It can't just be, it can't just be based on, you know, moving for, not, not that there's money at that level, but logistics or friends or so that you've got to purely base it on what's best for your footballing pathway. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I suppose we should talk about is, is overcoming things like injuries. How, how tough was that? Because Villa and other clubs, you had injuries. What advice would you have um, for younger players that have setbacks? Yeah, very difficult. Um, I mean, I had, I had a few in my career that obviously finally my one at, at Brighton that ultimately ended my career. Mm. And again, you're going to get setbacks. There's going to be, there's going to be downfalls. You just got to roll with the punches. It's, it's easy to say because I've been there times where, when I was at Fulham and I was out for eight months with a groin problem, and I'm in I'm in the uh, the gym and the physio room day in day out, that overlooks the training ground and the pitches, and you're seeing the rest of your teammates going out and working hard and having a laugh, and you're stuck in in the cold yeah. in the gym, and sometimes on your own. There's days where it's on your own, and there's days that get you down, but you just gotta just see the see the tunnel, the light in the, the tunnel, because it will come back. You will get there, um, and just think about all the hard, the hard days that you've done in that gym will all come eventful when you do get back onto that pitch. And when you do finally get back, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling. And, and all the players and the staff and the management, they all feel it for you as well. So when you go back, it's like a one big family sort of back together. And it's a great feeling. And when you were at Fulham, Steve, obviously you, you were there, you had a lot of managers in a short space at time. The captaincy was changing between yourself and, uh, was it Hangerland at the time, I believe? You had yep. Felix McGat, Rennie Millicent. How, how are those as a player when, when things are changing around you that you ultimately have no say in? Yeah, again, you know, that's leadership qualities. Uh, at the time that I was, I was, I mean, when I first went to Fulham, Danny Murphy was captain. What a, lead, what a sort of a leader in a different way, you know, because every, every captain is different but just on his footballing style and when things weren't right and he thought things weren't right, even with the hierarchy above, he was like, no, you know, I don't agree with that or the players wouldn't sort of agree with that. Um, there, was, there was definitely a, a, a unity between that. And I took that on board, really, when I'd become captain uh, of Fulham, when, when I had the armband. You can't deal with... You, all you've got to deal with is deal with the controllables, all the stuff that you can't deal with or that you haven't got a say in. You leave that to the to, to upstairs or, or the powers to be, and you just control first of all yourself and keep your your own emotions intact, and then the group that you're leading as well. Because at that time we was obviously facing a relegation, so you want to just strip it all back and keep it as simple and basic as um, as possible. Because ultimately, football is a basic and simple game. It's just us that, that make it complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about leadership as well, Steve, because you're someone that we've seen you a very senior figure at Reading. You said you had the armband at Fulham, uh, very vocal and senior at, at Stoke as well. You, you, you played for so many clubs. And 
I think, you know, everyone will agree I'm right in saying you're very well respected and liked at all the clubs you are. I remember when you announced your retirement on social media and the amount of players that you played with that, that came out and said what an amazing teammate you were how, how, and how you helped a lot of people off the pitch as well. So did you, was that always something you felt that you had to do to be one of the leaders in a lot of these dressing rooms? Or does, is that something that just came naturally to you? Yeah, I think it was something that came naturally. I mean, I was a captain from when I was quite young, um, even at Sunday League level. I was always a talker. Uh, I think that was just part of my makeup. And as I've gone through life, and especially in football, it costs nothing to be nice, you know. Yeah. And if you can see that someone's down, especially nowadays with all the mental health issues that goes on, you know, people put up shields, people people block things out. Um, and it could be something because a simple arm around the shoulder or, you know, just a simple chat. It gets people going or it just gets, it just it just reboots someone. So, you know, someone someone taught me that it costs nothing to be nice. You know, pretty early on in life, and I thought, you know what, I'll take that. I'll take that through with me. Sometimes in football, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to be nasty. It's that. It's that industry. But the majority of the time, when you're in a, an environment with your teammates, it's you know you're looking after everyone. Some people they're, they're quite selfish. They just look after themselves. But when you're a captain and you, you're a focal figure, you got to leave your own emotions intact and look after others and put them before you. Yeah, well said, mate. Um, and then coming to after Fulham. You had time at Stoke and then back at Brighton again, gaining promotion with Brighton. Was that one of the highlights of your career? Obviously, you had the Youth Cup at Arsenal, signing for Chelsea, England under 21s, and a lot, lot of highlights. Winning promotion back at Brighton, where, you, where you've been previously, that must have been one of your highlights of your career, that. Yeah, no, that was brilliant. And obviously, a tasty promotion through the Championship at Reading. Obviously, yeah. with the record points that we had, 106. And then when I spoke to Chris Hewton, about going there, the intentions was to go up. And obviously, I had that on my CV. I knew what it took to get out of the championship. You've covered plenty of championship games as well. It's, it's a brutal league. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got to win hooker by crook. It's not about how you play. You can try and play the best football. But ultimately, um, you know, there's a lot of doggy displays that get you through it. And yeah, when we went up, it was brilliant because the infrastructure that was at Brighton at the time it was ready to be a Premier League club. The academy, the setup, the training ground, the stadium, it was all geared up, ready. The people that are looking um, after it from above, they were superb. Mm. And at the time, Chris Hewton, the job that he'd done was brilliant. And it was all stepping stones, really, to, to, to be in the Premier League. And when we finally got there, it was great. But, you know, there's no time to, to, um, to sit and enjoy it because the work starts automatically. Well, it did for me. You start, you're automatically yeah. thinking, right, Work starts now. This is where the hard work starts. And, and, and they've gone on from strength to strength. Yeah, so Steve, I want to just sort of end by firstly talking about some sort of highlights of, of your career and then just going on to final bits of advice you'd have for people watching. So a bit of a quick fire, a few questions. Uh, yeah. hi highlight of your career, your best moment. Is there one standout moment you could pick, firstly? Uh, I would say representing England at under-21 level. Um, I love that. I mean, I've got a jersey over there like, on the wall. Oh, I love it. With me under 21 there, yeah, that was my under 21 debut. Jermaine Pennant, Bobby Zamora, um, Paul Koncheski, players like that in there. That was brilliant. I mean, that was that was lovely. I would love to have gone on to represent the uh, the national team. It wasn't to yeah. be representing my country. That level was was still special. Um, and best player that you've ever played with in your career? If you had to pick one, tough one I know, but who would you go for? Yeah, that's that's really difficult. I mean, it's got I've got to go for Chelsea. And, I mean, I always say Frank Lampard and John yeah. Terry, but. When you actually, when I actually think about it, I mean, Frank was superb. And as I say, yeah. his work ethic and that is something that was just phenomenal. But when you actually look at it, 
you can't go no further than Didier Drogba because mm. when we talk about big game players... He loved a cup final goal, didn't he? Oh, mate, Wembley. Just, loved a Wembley goal. I mean, Wembley was his home. I mean, yeah. we're talking big game players. You know, if you look round and you looked at him, he would just give you a glance in the dressing room and just go, I'll, I'll win this for us today, boys. Yeah. And whether that, again, was a front or whether he actually really believed in that, I don't mm. know. But, I mean, when you've got someone like that, that only just breeds confidence to everyone else. I mean, he was phenomenal. And best player you played against? Because, again, you'd have played against some top players in your career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this man, he, he takes some beating. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought he'd, he'd pop up. Yeah, he. I mean, then, then two seasons before he went to Madrid when he banged in 40-odd goals, you, you couldn't defend him. He didn't, yeah. Even if you knew he was going to go one way, his pace and power... Uh, and his dedication was, was phenomenal. But again, year in, year out, Scholes, he was the one. Again, yeah. as, as a midfielder competing against a midfielder, you couldn't get near him. You couldn't get near him. He was so clever with the ball, even off the ball and around the ball. If the ball was on one side of the pitch, he was the one just to drift away from play, knowing that five passes, it was, he could read the game, five passes in front, it was going to come to that area that he would either score or make an assist. So Scholes, he was brilliant. Yeah, we've got a few of them coming, actually. Uh, Sean says, favourite goal. Get any, all your questions in, Malloy. Get them in the comments section before we go. We'll try and ask Steve as many as we can. Uh, Sean says, favourite goal. Badger Sean. Uh, favourite goal? Uh, oh, that's difficult. But a lot of people would probably think the, third of, uh, the sorry the Brighton goal from the halfway line. On the yeah. Um, my favourite goal... Have you got a picture that, of that behind the wall? You've got a picture that... You've got pictures I haven't of it. Got, no, no, I haven't got that. I've, I've got that basically... I've got that blown up on the side of the house, that picture. <laughs> a big LED screen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched it since last night either. So. <laughs> no. Um, you stand there going, do, 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 ginger, yeah. really, Esther. <laughs> my my favourite goal, actually, but a lot of people won't really... It, I've been, there's been more spectacular ones, but the Reading one I scored against Aston Villa. I think it was in one of these clips, actually. Was that the, the Dave uh, Kitson link-up? That was it. The yeah. one-two. Yeah, the one-two. Because it was a goal that I weren't really associated with. It was more of a cultured Thierry Henry kind of slotter into the bottom corner. So um, that was one of my favourite goals. Because I played really well that day as well. Maybe that kind of sealed the deal to go to Villa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Gary Fleming says, best manager you played under. It sort of coincides with one I wanted to ask you. As, as, as to who had the biggest influence on your career. Uh, but Gary's asked best manager. So similar, similar question. Yeah, Jose was superb. You know, tactically back then as well, he was on a different level, um, especially band management. You know, he was, he was brilliant. But for me, Steve Coppel was one that mm. brought, me in, brought me into football. I went on loan to, Bright, uh, to Brentford at 17, 18, done a season-long loan from there. So he, he kind of took a punt. And then we met, we, we met back up at, at Reading, and we, had, we enjoyed so much success together. Um, a great footballing man. man you know, knew, knew, knew his limits. Knew that he wasn't a coach yeah. Monday to Friday. But become, come game day uh, and, and, and on, on match day, that's when he came into his own. And he was, he was brilliant. And any particular bit of advice that you would told from me? I'll maybe put you on the spot here a little bit. It's tough to remember. But a, a piece of advice someone in the game told you that you just thought, wow, that, that's going to stay with me throughout my career. Basically, it, as long as you the, the, as long as you work your absolute socks off, you've let no one down. Mm. That was it. Wally Down said that to me when I was about eighteen years old, and I was uh, on my first loan move to Brentford, coming from Arsenal. He said to me, "You're nervous." I think it was before my first game. He said, "You're nervous." I said, "Yeah, I am." I think I've come from Arsenal to Brentford. I think we were playing Berry on a Tuesday night, and he said to me, "Listen, if you work your socks off and you give hundred percent, you've let no one down." 
and you know if that you can't no one goes out to have a bad game some games just don't go for you but if you if you work your socks off and you and you put 100% effort in it might not work out on the day but that's all anyone can ask of you I love that. Um, Steve, you had a very successful career. What was that moment like, the realisation when your career was over? I remember you telling me a story, so I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, but yeah. you said that it was very emotional. You had your, your, your wife, you were in, in a room and you just, you just broke down crying and you realised that your career was over. Obviously, for the advice that you give to people when their career does end, at that yeah. time you said it was very hard to take, but actually you realised that it was the start of, of a new sort of career, if you like. Can you just talk to us about that time you like? Yeah, I mean, I, I had two spinal surgeries. So after the second one, this was actually just before the second one. Um, I, I, you, you kind of see it coming. You, you kind of see, because it was, it, it, was, it was a little bit taken from me because the year before that, I was fully fit. I could have played till I was 38, 39. I was 35 at the time. The injury come from nowhere. And I rushed through the surgery and then it got to a point where I needed surgery again. And I knew if I had surgery again, that I'd have to call it a day. Um, and it was sort of prolonged and prolonged and my wife was in the bath and I sat there and I was like, I need surgery. There's no, there's no two ways about it for, the, for, the, for, for, for my health for the next 30, 40 years. For, I, I mean, I couldn't pick my little girl up out of the cot. I couldn't go in the garden and play football with the kids. I couldn't even brush my teeth. I couldn't even get into that hinge over at the sink where you, I couldn't even brush my teeth in the morning. So... When it, finally, when, when it finally happens, you have to make that decision. It's, it's, it's horrible because that's all I've known. That's all I've known through school since I was a kid. When I come out of school, I was regimented, I was routined. And that's just life. That's just football. And it was, it was hard to take. And to be fair, there's still days now that's really difficult. Really difficult. Really? Because, yeah, because it's all I've ever known. It's different that you come out of football and... I've, I've, I've thought, yeah, well, I've got other interests, so I want to start this company up or do this business, or that's not that's not me. Football is my life. That's why I've stayed in coaching. That's why I've stayed in TV punditry and doing things like this now. Because if I can help the next generation, the next little bit of advice makes two percent difference. Then that hopefully that two percent might be, you know, an England call up to someone or might get them through bad times when they're injured, stuff like that. So. It was difficult to do because, you know, I've done 20 years as a career and yeah. um, it was it was hard. But the way I look at it, I probably had 20 years more than hundreds and thousands of people. So I'm very blessed in what I did have. And what you said there, Steve, you said it was important that you wanted to, to keep yourself busy. It's amazing how many people I've spoken to, particularly at Sky, the ex-pundits I know quite well at Sky, that said when their career ends that, that it's important to have something, have a goal, have a focus is, is a word that... I hear used a lot. Well, so you're, you're obviously doing punditry and coaching now. Was that important to you as soon as your career ended, you wanted to throw yourself into something? And how are you finding life as a pundit and a coach? Yeah, I mean, as a, on the coaching side of it, I've got to thank Brighton first and foremost. They Obviously, I finished my career there. They wanted good people still in the building and they offered me roles that, I, that was basically down to me to take. The 16s, working with them in that age group, I wanted to do that to, to learn mistakes in terms of coaching and, and learning about myself, as well as helping youngsters. Um, so they give me that pathway, but it also gave me an opportunity to do the punditry and the TV and the media stuff that a lot of people said that I would do well and excel at as well. So the, I've got the best of both worlds at the moment, yeah. but there is going to become a decision time, probably end of this season, that I will need to make to see what really avenue or pathway that I do want to take. And with, with your role at Brighton, are there other things that you do with, with the, the young lads other than on the football pitch um, in terms of their education? And what other sort of development opportunities are there for 
uh, the young, talented lads at Brighton? Yeah, I mean, again, I talk about the infrastructure there. They've got it down to a T. I mean, these young lads now, they don't know what they're given. Um, we've got an education. We Basically, we've got a school in, in the training ground. So they come in from day release. They do their education. Then they're straight on the grass with us with, a much, with so much contact time. Um, we, do a, we do analysis. We break clips down. So I work with the midfielders or the defensive uh, players. And we go through parts of their game on the weekend that was good, that could be improved. So there's, there's every aspect from a player's point of view that they can ask for. They, they can ask for absolutely anything now. And like I said, the world we've come to live in now is all about instant access. And they can get it instantly. They get their games from a Saturday over to them, probably, probably by a Sunday or a Monday that they can watch and view their clips. We'll analyse it on, on Tuesdays. Um, and they leave no stone unturned. If they want to work on things, we do um, individual programmes with, with them now. So the, the midfielders, they could look at clips like what um, Kevin De Bruyne has done on the weekend yeah. and they could learn sort of things from that. And it's, it's, it's basically, it's all sort of mapped out and laid out for them. And it's how they take it. Some, some develop quicker than others. Some need a bit of time. Some develop at different times. You've got to take that it all into consideration because, like I said, everyone's pathway is different um, and everyone, everyone gets there at different, at different stages. There's a couple of questions that came in. Spendergram put a good question at the bottom, uh, just sort of saying, do you think that the young players need agents or people around them to help with, with difficult decisions? What, what would your answer to that be uh, at a young age? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I, I, mean I, I go by myself. I had an agent at 14. You know, mm. I was at Arsenal. It, it was, yes, it was one of the top clubs, top um, academies around at the time I think I think there's there's good and obviously there's good and bad agents around as long as they've got the good people looking after them looking after their best interests and and families and players will get a feel for that very early as long as they feel that the right decision is made for them football wise and educational wise as well then then they got to go from it they'll there'll be mistakes everyone everyone has their mistakes away from football um, but it's a learning process. It's a learning curve. And hopefully, you know, the mistakes that are there, they're not big enough that will make a, a big pitfall in their career. And I want to just touch it as an ending to bring it full circle about something you said at the start. When I was talking about you as a YTS team, you said um, it was always football, football, football. You hadn't had anything um, to fall back on, but you didn't want to because you always wanted to pursue that. What advice would Steve Sidwell now have for Steve Sidwell, the YTS? And what advice would you give to young players that, that are trying to make it? Obviously, to, to put, put all your effort in, into becoming a footballer, but do you advise that it's important to have stuff to fall back on or other interests as well, like, like the schooling that you mentioned at Brighton? Yeah, yeah, I mean, a million percent. I mean, even then, even at Arsenal when, I was, when we was all YTS, we still done education because obviously it was part of the FA programme, uh, the Premier League programme. So we still went off to um, Himes Park um, College to have our schooling. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got to do it. You've got to do it because the stats now, I mean, it's even harder now to make it. I mean, the, the, the way football's evolved and how talented these youngsters are uh, to, to really make the grade at the highest, highest level is very, very difficult. So you have to have stuff to fall back on. Um, you may not like the decision that, that happens when it, when, it, when it finally comes to say, right, it's not gonna be, it's, this is not going to be my, my living. Um, but as long as you have something to fall back on and hopefully it's something that you enjoy. You know, yeah, football's going to be the number one slot, but there might be 
you know, there might be something in, I don't know what, what industry, but as long as you've got something that you can fall back and that you'll enjoy, um, then, then that's what you want, ideally. And lastly, Steve, um, I know you very well. You're top man. Thank you very much for your time uh, today. We've been chatting for nearly 40 minutes. That's been absolutely brilliant. Um, you had a lot of clubs. So do, do they come with initiations? Because I, I, I know uh, from speaking to you that you had quite a unique initiation song. So could we end by just revealing what your initiation song was? Yeah, so it's, it started at Chelsea. So my, 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 my initiation song was Only Fools and Horses. So, brilliant. Uh, it's, the it's, theme uh, tune. Yeah. It's a theme tune that I absolutely love. I mean, I loved, I loved every episode. I could write, rattle off every episode. Yeah, now. I do as well. I'm a massive fan as well. Yeah, so so I so I done it there, and yeah, it went down an absolute storm. You can imagine, Bamsey, <laughs> JT, Bridgie, Wrighty, um, uh, Joe Cole, yeah. all the lads. They they absolutely loved it. I done it every club, and every club loved it. The foreigners weren't too keen. I don't think they knew what was going on, but. Um, <laughs> The staff and everyone, yeah, they, they cracked up. So it was one that stuck through me and, uh, yeah, it done well. Love that. And Dave just says, I don't know the only Fools and Horses theme tune, can you? Because <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Steve, top man. Uh, thank you very much for your time. A any final thoughts you wanted to say j just for any of the sort of young athletes watching? I think we've covered it. You've talked about loan deals and injuries and, and mental health. I think it was important that you raised that as well. But I think the key message that, you, that I've taken from that is just work ethic and, and, and being nice to people, which I think is a, a very sort of a very good way to end it, I think. Yeah, no, listen, as I said to you before, the, the, the people in that, in, in that sort of uh, in that industry now, even at that young age, they're going to be. Um, they're going to be exposed to pressure from under eights all the way through because it is that industry, it is that environment where they're training two or three days a week and playing on a Saturday for, for or a Sunday for an academy environment. The biggest thing is just to enjoy it. You know, you've got to, you've got to try and enjoy it, especially so young. Um, and then obviously take the pressures when it's, when it starts coming further up the ladder. Uh, but yeah, look, obviously I'm on Instagram. People can, can, can message me, you know, if they're stuck or they want questions asked, I'm always there. If they need a bit of help. So I'm always, um, as there's no true word saying, it, 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 to get advice, you're only two clicks away. It used to be two phone calls away, but now it's <laughs> two clicks away from the button. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Steve, I've worked with you many times before. You are, you are a top man. I know that you've given up your time uh, just solely for the, to help other people here today. So thank you very much for that. Stay safe in these strange times and uh, sure we'll catch up soon, mate. You too. Smithy, top man. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate. Look after yourself. Bye-bye.